Nintendo Week is brought to you by Thrifty Megamart, where our nature is giving. Hello everybody and welcome to Nintendo Week for the end of week of a long time now. Uh, I'm your host, Colin McIsaac, and as always, I'm joined by Alex Plant. Merry Nintendo Miss Time. And Ben Lamoureux. As soon as we're done recording this, I'm heading off to my family Thanksgiving. Yay! And we apologize for the brief absence. Uh, out of the blue, I had to move last weekend, which kind of screwed with our schedule even more than we had already planned to be offset. But today, we are Dang back. It, Colin. And we are making it up for you uh, with a huge episode filled with news, rumors, Pokemon, and more. And with all that moving and acting crap done on my end, we should, knock on wood, be back for good here. Uh, so this week, as I hinted, we've got the news block to talk EA, Banjo-Kazooie, and more, followed by a trip to the Gossip Stone to discuss tons of gossip on the Switch's launch lineup. And of course, that'll be capped off by the lightning round, as is Nintendo Week tradition. And then we're going to take a quick break and come right back with a game corner all about our time with Pokemon Sun and Moon. You guys ready? Oh yeah. Let's go. All right, let's hit the news block. We've known for a while now that EA plans to support Nintendo Switch, and CFO Blake Jorgensen says that they've got a game or two coming to the console, including one of their, quote, bigger games. What that might be, we have no idea, but they've recently expressed no interest in bringing Mass Effect Andromeda to Switch, so don't get your hopes up there just yet. Um... If I were to bet, I'm guessing it would be something like Madden, maybe FIFA. Yeah, Madden was actually my first thought, too. Uh, and just, if you look at the, the reveal trailer for Switch, they, they showed like people playing basketball, and they showed like an eSports competition with uh, Splatoon. So I'm kind of mm-hmm. wondering if Nintendo won't try to market this more to the sports crowd than Wii U, which obviously did not attract that crowd at all. Yeah. Uh, and I think Madden would be the best title to do it with, specifically because, uh, I don't know if you guys know this, but there's a mobile version of Madden, and it's actually like stupid popular uh like it's still pulling it it's it's over two years old now they release new content once a year like a season update or whatever but Mm. it's over two years old and it's still pulling in millions every month uh so i think that That actually doesn't surprise me yeah and that and that's just like a crappy scaled down version of madden for phones so i think if, if ea and nintendo can push the idea of you can take the full madden experience on the go and then maybe possibly uh interact between the Switch version and your mobile version, too. I think that would be a really good way to sort of attract some of those sports players. That's really interesting. Okay. Indeed. Uh, So for me, I I could actually look beyond the sports games a little bit, and I've got a couple hunches. Uh, One is Titanfall 2, a game that they already happily sent out to die on every other platform by launching (laughs) it against the likes of (laughs) Call of Duty and Battlefield 1. Uh, So... As terribly as we all know that game will sell, that's definitely possible. Sure. Um, But the one I think is probably more likely is Star Wars Battlefront. Oh, yeah. And that's because there's that long history of Star Wars games on Nintendo consoles, and they usually sell pretty well. Uh, And we can bet that Disney would be really happy to see one of their properties uh, on a Nintendo platform. Yeah, that's a really good point. That's I would love to see Battlefront on Nintendo Switch. Make it happen, guys. Nintendo squashed fan projects AM2R, Return of Samus, and Pokemon Uranium earlier this year, but the two fan games were both officially nominated for this year's Game Awards under the Best Fan Projects category. Unfortunately, they were both quietly removed last week with no explanation. Ben, I know you've got some words to say. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm a little irritated. A lot of this we've, we've talked about before, how it's just, even if Nintendo may have the legal right, it's uh, this especially is just bad publicity. Uh, but I think what, yeah. what really gets under my skin Skin. And this might be a bit unfair because I don't know all the, the legal details involved in this situation, but uh, I'm a little upset with Jeff Keighley just because for years, you know, he hosted Spike TV's Game Awards and then he left them so that he could do his own thing, have his own award show where he makes the rules and he doesn't necessarily have to cater to what companies want shown and whatnot. And we've seen him sort of take some steps to make this a show that's more about the fans in the past couple years. Like, people complained mm-hmm. that the the first one he did was too long, so he made the second one, like, an hour shorter. And people complained that there's been too much CGI, so he's promised that this one is going to have more real in-game footage. So, like, you, you see him taking these steps to make this a good f- award show for the fans, and then this happens, where he sort of... He lets Nintendo bully him and, and pulls two games that the fans really love, that the fans really wanted to see get some sort of recognition. So I feel like it's a step backward for making this feel... 
like a, a community-driven award show rather than just another corporate piece of crap. You hear that, Keely? You're a loser. <laughs> uh, sure. I don't know. I mean, I, I'm kind of over it. Like, there's only so many times I can say you're being ridiculous. And I agree. They are being ridiculous. But, you know, they made the decision yeah. to squash these projects a long time ago. So this is really no surprise. And, you know, the Game Awards, you know, it's not like Keeley is going to stick up for, you know, AM2R and Pokemon Uranium when Nintendo's saying, well, we'll just not reveal our next Zelda game here then. I was going to say, like, Nintendo's a sponsor of the show, so there's a sort of conflict of interest there. Yeah, Nintendo's got a lot more weight than, than Keeley is able to stand well, up and, to. And so. if, if they are a sponsor this year, I know they were last year, but I don't know if that's if that's still happening this year or not. But if they are, this seems like something you would have worked out ahead of time. I don't know how those yeah. awards ever get to the website and then get pulled. Yeah, right? that's you know definitely that Nintendo's going to have a problem with it. That's yeah. that's what baffles me, too. Um, and I guess it's it's really disappointing for me because this is a very explicit fan projects category, so it's not like these right. games are being put up as like official games. They're very clearly fan games, and the, the yeah. show was going to acknowledge that. And like you guys have said, it's, it's a shame that Nintendo won't celebrate that category of their fandom. Mm-hmm. Phil Spencer, the head of Microsoft's Xbox division, recently opened up again on his love for Nintendo and his wishes of working with them more closely. Specifically, he said that their relationship has been great with Minecraft, and he said that if he had the chance to let Banjo and Kazooie join Smash Bros, he'd do it in a second. He also said that he'd love to have Mario available on Xbox, but of course, unlike Banjo, that's totally unrealistic. (laughs) Unless Nintendo's like on the verge of bankruptcy. Well, yeah. (laughs) Uh, yeah, I mean, he's expressed his love of Nintendo before, and we've talked for hours about what a great fit Banjo and Kazooie would be in Smash Bros. So, you know, this isn't anything terribly new, but it does affirm stronger than ever that Nintendo's really the one to bug if we if we want Banjo playable. Yeah, I, I like that he actually clarified, and he was like, some people think I'm just kind of giving a stupid PR answer when I say I'd like Banjo and Smash. And I'm like, why wouldn't you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Accurate. Um, yeah. Another great goodwill uh, move that they could do is make Banjo available in Minecraft at the same time they make him available in Smash Bros. Lots of cross promo. That would be great. Make Banjo available in the Virtual Console. Yeah. Put Banjo's games back on the Switch. Maybe old games like people will be happy to buy them on whatever device. Like yeah, I don't. don't it, you you don't need to hold exclusive games. You know, from the Nintendo sixty four era close to your yeah, chest. Yeah, exactly. Especially right. since they're already available in a 30-pack for, like, nothing on Xbox, so. Yeah, right. Which Phil Spencer said, ask Rare to put it on Wii U. <laughs> <laughs> so, who cares anymore? Um, as for Mario on Xbox, you know, just search YouTube videos of Super Mario Maker. That's the best you're going to get, Phil. Aww. <laughs> Uh, well, there joking was, there aside, was that emulator on Xbox One for a while, but that yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, joking aside, I could see a future way down the line where Nintendo's a bit more lenient with their IP, and you know we could see things like the Mario Minecraft skin available for a price on Xbox while it's free on Nintendo consoles, or things like Mario crossing over into a future Sonic Racing game on all consoles and not just on you know the Nintendo version, um, you know stuff like that. But that's really far off. This is totally an aside and has nothing to do with anything, but uh, I noticed in the show notes you put a more lenient, and I almost expected you to say oh, yeah. that in Mario's voice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was, uh, I, I had had a little more lenient, and then I did yeah. a little, and I guess I missed it. Yeah. <laughs> Laura Kate Dale of Let's Play Video Games reports that UK retailer Game is planning to sell Nintendo Switch for $1.99, or about $2.50. After the story was first published, Game emailed Dale, warning her that she was going to lose her credibility and telling her to change her article if she wanted to avoid further action. (laughs) Shortly after, they sent her an email apologizing for the first email, but they still asked her to change the article again. Meanwhile, another UK retailer, GameSeek, has started selling Nintendo Switch pre-orders at almost exactly the same price, and they guarantee that's what they'll sell Switch for. On top of all that, a Canadian Toys R Us website briefly listed the Switch with a price of $329.99 Canadian, which is also about $250 USD, 200 euros. So, all in all, Switch's price looks like it'll be about the $250 range. And whether any of these individual stories should go in the Gossip Stone doesn't really matter at this point, because the overall narrative is pretty clear. 
Yeah, and Nintendo isn't legally allowed to set an industry standard price in the UK. They have rules against that. But when multiple retailers are sort of floating a price in that range, it suggests to me that they already know what the wholesale price is. Nintendo has already told them most likely what they have to pay to get a Switch, and so they can, you know, slap 50 on that or whatever to know what what they're going to end up charging fans. I also think it's kind of ridiculous that Game thought that they could sort of intimidate Laura. Like, I don't know if either of you guys read the emails they sent her, but they were really condescending. <laughs> the first email felt like a disgruntled employee. Uh, yeah. And then the second it, email... It was like, this is not official information and you need to correct it. Well, yeah, she, yeah. she wasn't claiming it was official information. Right. That was made clear. Yeah. So also worth noting, also tied to price, although we'll talk a little bit about this later, uh, there's another piece of pricing info tied to a bundle that'll be available at launch, and that's it'll be about 300 US dollars for a Splatoon bundle featuring more internal storage uh so i think that's a great deal mm-hmm. i think 250 dollars for a non-bundle is is a great deal definitely a much better value than we ever was uh until they were bundling with splatoon and smash um but given the way the xbox and one and playstation are shaping up i still wonder whether the price is too high because at that point it's very possible that switch will be launching against the same price point as the low-end xbox and low-end playstation and i'm not sure that's a safe position for nintendo to be in given that those platforms already have really big libraries to tempt uh many would-be buyers away from switch yeah i agree i mean if it's at the same prices as its competitors i can see well first of all they'll need great marketing which they might get with splatoon and smash and mario kart and zelda and they might be able to do that but i think they'll really need to drive home the message that this is a home console you can take anywhere with you and um you know if people already have xboxes and playstations they might be inclined to buy a switch for you know all the great nintendo games they can play so i think it's it's totally possible to sell this thing alongside xbox and playstation even if it's at the same price it's just going to be a little bit challenging and i also think uh this is one of the benefits of launching in march rather than right before the lucrative holiday season is that there's there's playstation and xbox black friday deals going on and bundles where you get two or three games you know the the price that you would normally just get the console so most of those deals will not be in effect by march so hopefully that makes it look like a little more of a a valuable pickup yeah that's a great point yep Nintendo hasn't officially stated when Breath of the Wild will launch besides 2017, but many people were hoping or expecting it to be a Switch launch title. Unfortunately, that may not be the case. Emily Rogers, Eurogamer, and Laura Kate Dale all claim that it won't be ready for launch, and Nintendo is aiming to release it in June. It seems like it was planned to come to the Switch at launch, but both localization and bug testing are taking much longer than they anticipated. Target briefly listed its release date as June 13th, 2017, lending credence to these claims, but GameStop recently listed it as a Q1 game on their marketing calendar during an earnings call, so it's possible it could be more like May... Um, again, we could put some of these in the gossip stone and tackle them individually, but that's really just a waste of time. The overall narrative is, again, really clear here. Breath of the Wild seems to be having a little bit of trouble uh, in making that launch window. Uh, even if it misses launch, I think June's going to be a pretty safe time to release it. Um, yeah, same. Because it's not too far after launch that you can't uh, use the game to market the system at launch. Uh, it's not going to overcrowd the launch period with a bunch of really big games that eat each other's sales. Uh, yeah. Plus, I think Breath of the Wild will be a much better summertime game than a springtime game, and people are going to need a lot of time to uh, take in the open world. I totally agree, and especially if Skyrim is going to be at launch, which it, I'm sure it will. Yeah, two big open world games on day one might be a little overwhelming. Exactly. Right. Um, another piece of Zelda reporting that kind of flew under the radar, and this is probably more rumor than report, but apparently there are rumblings that Nintendo is planning to make a Breath of the Wild demo available. Don't know whether it'll be on Wii or Switch or both, or when it'd come out, but that might be a good way to tide people over uh, before it releases. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of people say that demos can uh, take away sales, but we've seen that demos for big games like Final Fantasy XV and Pokemon Sun and Moon have actually fueled interest in those games, so I'm hoping Nintendo yeah. will actually do it. Yeah. Um, I think the the source of the report had said that Nintendo might be a little concerned about people breaking the game since it's an open world game. Uh, so it, it might, they might hold it back after, you know, Sun and right. Pokedex getting leaked before launch. <laughs> but, um, I, right, I, think they should, yeah. I think they should just take the risk because people are going to, people are going to do that kind of crap when the game comes out anyway. Well, that's all we've got for the news block. So let's head to the gossip stone. with the Gossip Stone, where we discuss the latest updates from the old rumor mill. After each one, we're going to go around and weigh in with our final verdicts, whether we think the rumors are true or trubbish. 
So in the last few weeks, have given us a ton of rumors and a ton of reports about various games in development for the Switch, so I think we'll tackle those one by one, starting with all the rumors and then moving on to all the reports. And yes, there is a difference. I have had enough of these commenters who think that we think they're interchangeable just because they don't believe there's a difference, but we'll have that discussion another day. Oh my god. I have that <laughs> anyway. discussion every day. <laughs> anyway, Emily Rogers passed along the first rumors on our plate, saying sources very close to Nintendo have indicated to her that the Switch version of Mario Kart blurs the lines between a port and a new game, and it'll have all the content from Mario Kart 8, including its DLC, out the gate, but it will also feature new characters, new tracks, and a new and improved battle mode. Apparently the game is done, and Nintendo plans to release it within the first three months of Switch's launch, but they haven't nailed down the exact time. Yeah, well, we've been thinking something exactly along those lines uh, since the reveal. Uh, I've been thinking something exactly along those lines for, like, a year now. So <laughs> yeah. not surprised to hear that's uh, how it's yes. going to pan out. Most excited for that uh, new and improved battle mode. Yep. Yep. It's true. That'll be really fun on the go, too, battle mode. Oh, for sure. Especially if it's, like, really heavily oriented towards two-player battles, like the original yep. Super Mario Kart. Like, that's... Yep. That's where Switch is really going to shine, is in two-player, 1v1 competitive modes for that, that local multiplayer, and that's... Yes! Alright, next up from Emily was announced on Twitter, rather than officially reported, um, though she didn't label it herself as a rumor, but since it wasn't... Uh, you know, officially put out there, really. We're, we're treating it as a rumor. Uh, she says the Switch will have the following games by the end of its first year. 3D Mario, Zelda, Mario Kart, Splatoon, Pikmin 4, Pokemon, a new IP, and a new Retro Studios game. Laura Kate Dale, meanwhile, passed along a rumor where she later expressed she's not confident in, uh, which is that Switch's full 2017 lineup includes Telltale's Guardians of the Galaxy and tons more. Uh, in that lineup was a port of Xenoblade Chronicles X, which she clarified is being developed by a different studio, while Monolith Soft works on a new game for the Switch, and she said that the port is not coming anytime before 2018. So we've heard a lot of rumblings about uh, a Nintendo new IP in the works and about Retro Studios having some sort of project, but if this turns out to be true, I'm surprised and excited that we're getting both of these things within a year of launch. That kind of Caught me off guard a little bit. Oh, they've I, both been in development for a long time. I'm not surprised. Yeah, I'm delighted. I suppose but... that's true. But, you know, it's, I guess with uh, the, the Switch's first six months looking to be fairly stacked, I, maybe I, I, I was, wasn't expecting the, the latter half to be as stacked, too. I guess if these rumors are true, Switch's lineup is going to exceed my expectations, is basically what I'm trying to say, because it really sounds like they're packing in a lot into the first year. Yeah, and that's which, great. you know, will hopefully uh, attract third parties to, uh, to the platform if it's selling well. Yep. Um, as for whether it's true or trubbish, um, I mean, a lot of it feels kind of meaningless. <laughs> like, it's either stuff we've heard over and over or stuff that isn't even really sure of itself. Um, you know, these people have proven numerous times that they both have incredibly reliable sources. So, um, I'm calling true on Roger's lineup, but as for Dale, she's saying that this information is uncertain, so... Yeah, like, sure, it's true that it's uncertain. <laughs> um, you know, it's all totally plausible, but for Xenoblade, for example, we're talking about 2018 at the earliest, so whatever. Yeah, and, you know, Monolith likes to make those huge friggin' games, so I'm not surprised at all that their yeah. project's taking a while. Yeah. Um, I guess for me, as I've sort of seen the lineup take form, um, I'm getting a little nervous how it's the lineup is sounding more and more like Wii U's lineup, just really front-loaded. Because aside from Pokemon, we got every single franchise that's been talked about for launch year on Wii U, too. In most cases, the same games, even. And uh, going back to that comment I made earlier about pricing, at least Wii U had the advantage of being cheaper than Xbox and PlayStation for that that lineup. And Switch won't have that at launch, uh, if the rumored prices are true. So I'm hoping there's a lot more on the first-party side in the pipeline that we haven't heard about yet. Yeah, I got to agree with you there. I think I'm really hoping that the new IP and the new Retro Studios game are something really fresh and original yeah. rather than something like, you know, another 2D platformer and then Donkey Kong Country Returns 3. Um, which, I mean, don't get me wrong, I would love more DK, but... Well, yeah, that's the thing. It's like, we even got a Retro Studios game on Wii U, and that game kind of bombed. Exactly. Like... <laughs> So it's hard to be like, oh, yeah, this is definitely a home run lineup because it's a lineup we've basically had before. Right. I mean, it's 
To be fair, though, that lineup is something that we got over the course of, like, four years with Wii U. Whereas no, absolutely. It is a one-year lineup. Yeah, that's, that's the silver lining. That was part of the problem with Wii U is they stretched one year's worth of games into four-year library. Mm, and right. No, totally. I so totally I don't think it will be as much of a problem if it is front-loaded, even if it's the same, you know, essential set of games. Yeah. The fact that they're coming out all in one year with a fresh start on a console with a way better brand... Um, I do agree, but I don't know if it's a huge problem, as long as they keep the software coming in the next couple of years after that. It's not a huge problem. I know for sure I'll buy them, but I was really hoping to see a lot more new stuff, and that's kind of yeah. a bummer. Yeah, I feel you. Yeah. The last of the three rumors is from Laura Kate Dale, who was only able to confirm this with one source at Nintendo, and thus it is not a full-fledged report. Uh, but it claims that Pikmin 4 is a reboot for the series, and it's launching on Switch sometime next fall. Um, I think this is true. Uh, as a Pikmin fan, I've noticed it's having a bit of an identity crisis between its different gameplay mechanics, like the ship pieces versus fruits, or dungeons versus no dungeons, you know, which colors of Pikmin are available in the campaign of one game versus another. Um, but most of all, its control schemes have been really embracing Nintendo's various gimmicks with motion controls and the gamepad, and that's something that they just won't be able to continue on the Switch if they want this series to succeed which they surely do, or else they wouldn't be making this game in the first place. So they're going to need to go back to controls more reminiscent of the GameCube days, which means they're really going to have to dial back the multitasking with the multiple different captains. Um, there's just not much of a future for this series, given its current trajectory. So, yeah, I think a reboot is bound to happen, and and that can mean a soft reboot. You know, it's not like they have to hit the reset button and say the last three games never happened. Um, but I do think that they need to rewind a little bit and tie all these different things that make Pikmin great into one cohesive experience and sort of package that as the essential Pikmin game. Um, plus, it's not like Pikmin has ever really relied on a cohesive multi-game story, so there's really no reason they'd need to call it Pikmin 4 in the first place. Yeah, yeah. I, I When I heard the rumor, I was just assuming the reboot thing was just a nomenclature thing, and they just weren't going to number it. Sure. Um, and that's ha- something that's happening in lots of franchises. They're abandoning the numbered sequel and uh, clearly defined multi-game narrative uh, to draw in new players. Uh, and honestly, I felt that Pikmin 3 was kind of a reboot already with the way it had entirely new yeah. protagonists, uh, different story objectives. Uh, so I think this will be true. Uh, I think the reboot will work out fine. Um, I kind of disagree with you about the controls though i think i think it can only help them to include them as options but certainly don't um have the game kind of revolve around those options i wouldn't say revolve necessarily but i do think that you know if people are going to be taking this game on the go if people are going to be playing it on the big screen without a touchpad you know they're going to need to design them mostly around the controller obviously you know a motion option or touchscreen option would be great but I think the primary input is going to have to be just standard controls. Unless you really want to force the Joy-Cons on the player. Yeah, which sure. you don't want to do. I think as long as they make it pretty balanced with standard controls, it's it's fine to have those extra precision options for those situations where they're available to you. Like, I wouldn't mind if I'm taking it on the go. I wouldn't mind using the touchpad. And if I'm playing on the TV, I certainly wouldn't mind using Joy-Con motion controls. Um, yeah, but we're crazy Nintendo people. Like those. Eh, eh, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, like, I am with you. I wouldn't mind it at all. But I also thought that Pikmin 3 was an amazing... Like, I thought that the setup made the game work great. And yeah, it, me just, too. But nobody wants to play a game like that. That's just kind of the way it is. Yeah, I remember seeing a report, when, or a bunch of reports, or maybe it was in the reviews, saying when Pikmin 3 came out, what's the point of this game being on Wii U? And I was just sitting there thinking, this, this game is this game is great on you. It uses the, the yeah. touchscreen in a great way, which is, you know, no more than you ever would actually need it. And so, yeah. whatever. Yeah. Uh, as for reports rather than rumors, we've got quite a few. I think we'll tackle the first three altogether, as Laura Kate Dale reports that Mario, Skyrim, and Splatoon are all launch titles for the Switch. She says the Mario game features an open hub that connects to other worlds, each with multiple objectives, yes! so it really sounds more like a Mario 64 or Galaxy-type game. Splatoon, meanwhile, will have new content in-game and more free DLC on the way, as well as a competitive 1v1 mode to play locally and it will be available in a Switch bundle at launch. Finally, on Skyrim, she added that it won't support mods at launch, but much like the PS4 version, it will eventually support mods in a limited capacity. Uh, yeah, Skyrim, obviously that's good news. Uh, good news that it'll be based on special edition version with the mod support too. Um, I know a lot yeah. of people are saying, oh, well, third-party titles at, late third-party titles at launch don't do well, but 
Skyrim's a huge evergreen title, so I see that game doing really well on Switch, yeah. kind of like Minecraft uh, on Wii U. Yeah, especially because I think a lot of Nintendo fans who are going to be buying it on Switch because they don't have, you know, the open-world Zelda game, mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I think a lot of Nintendo fans won't have played Skyrim before, and as long as they can get a lot of those converts from the Nintendo user base, then, yeah, I think it's going to do great. Yep. Especially when you add in the uh, no stamina Ooh. mods. Anyway, um, for 3D Mario, I'm actually kind of ambivalent about the game being more open and mission-based because on the one hand, open games can be really fun to explore, uh, and that was definitely a big draw of Super Mario 64 uh, back in the day, and people have been asking for a game like that. But on the other hand, unless this game goes the route of having multiple more or less linear obstacle course level paths in what's otherwise the same world uh the missions in mario games can be kind of flat and boring sometimes Mm -hmm. so as a compromise what i'm really hoping is that this new 3d mario will do something it should have done from the start and not kick us out of the level after each mission yeah because we never did that and it was so much better for it yeah that's that's a good idea donkey kong 64 as well right yeah that that doesn't kick you out of the worlds no it it, most of its missions are actually pretty self-contained the one good thing that game did (laughs) (laughs) and yeah I, i definitely felt like those worlds were more interesting and immersive for it too yeah totally i like the idea of having like a open world with sort of tunnels in various places that are obstacle course like and then you get to an open area with a mission or two in it i think i think that'd be a really good approach sure i also like the idea of having little sort of secret pathways that connect one world to another so Mm -hmm. like not just that the hub is your entryway for you know each different sort of obstacle course within which you can explore these missions but that uh, you know, if you warp on the magic carpet in Rainbow Ride, for example, you can find yourself up in Bianca Hills. Sure. And I know that doesn't make any sense for a lot of reasons, but if those two courses show up in this game for whatever reason. <laughs> sure. Uh, I thought Banjo-Tooie did that really well. Um, there were a lot of really surprising hmm. sort of connections between levels that I wasn't expecting. So mm-hmm. that, that, I like that idea, yeah. too. So you think this is true? Oh, uh, it's definitely true. Okay. There's, there's no yeah. doubt. I, I think it's true, too. I mean, that's just the vibe I got from the brief footage we saw, too. Right. We've seen we've seen all these games. Definitely. Um, as for Splatoon, uh, obviously we're going to have new content. Even in the footage we've already seen, we've already seen a new map, new customization options, yep. new gear types. Uh, no brainer to continue supporting that game on Switch. Uh, it'll be a great game to have bundled at launch too because uh it'll make this community bigger and better um i know a a really sort of bummer for me when i uh, was when my wife was playing splatoon a lot is oh i have to buy another system and another copy of splatoon to really enjoy playing splatoon with her but you know now we can both buy our own switch and both get splatoon bundled with it and both play together and i won't have to go out of my way to, to try to play splatoon with her so that's that's really cool yeah Dale also reported that Ubisoft is developing a Switch-exclusive RPG crossing over Mario with the Raving Rabbids. It's currently called Mario RPG Invasion of the Rabbids, and it features the Rabbids invading the Mushroom Kingdom to cause mayhem. Uh, Besides presumably Mario, your party will include Yoshi, a rabbit, and presumably some more characters along the way. Fingers crossed for Gino, but those rights are going to be complicated. Sad. Um, Bowser's got a new rabbit form, and there's going to be lots of Mario series cameos. You know, it's going to be wacky, and it's planned to be a launch title for the Switch. Yeah, so this wasn't a story I was expecting to write up a few days ago. Yeah, no way. Um, All her other reports have been true, though, so I don't have any reason not to believe that this is also true, Um, so I'm making that call, and I think that this could work surprisingly well, you know, like, when you hear Mario and Rabbids crossover RPG, like, it sounds like worst-case scenario for a video game ever, (laughs) Um, but, uh, you know, I think it could work surprisingly well, you know, Ubisoft has been making great turn-based RPGs with the South Park games, so they're a very talented group of developers who is gaining a lot of experience with this genre and with this sort of style of irreverent humor that would work really well for a Rabbids crossover. Um, and I don't know that that means this game is going to be amazing, but I'm sure it's at least going to be a good game. And I'm sure it's going to be zany wild fun. I'm sure they'll make it work. Yeah. Uh, for me, I have absolutely no love for the annoying mascot creature hordes. Cough, cough, minions, <laughs> cough, cough. Uh, but that's not a reason to believe this won't be true. So right. I think it's true. Um, and I think it's a good sign. Uh, definitely a good sign of goodwill toward Ubisoft on Nintendo's part to allow them to use the Mario name. And a definitely a good sign of goodwill toward Nintendo on Ubisoft's part uh, to develop exclusives for Switch even after their Wii U games struggled. So while I'm not personally interested in this game, from what we've heard, I'm really glad it's being made. Yeah, 
I just hope they cross over Mario and Watch Dogs so we can get that crazy guy with the emoji eyes. Yeah, I'm pretty much in the same boat as Alex, where this doesn't really sound appealing to me. But I, uh, yeah, you know, I, it could be good for Nintendo if they they make a sort of cute, simple RPG that you know younger fans could really get into, and hopefully that will inspire some yeah. confidence in Ubisoft to uh, to continue supporting the console because they they had all kinds of support for Wii U, or at least they talked all kinds of support for Wii U at launch, and by 18 months later, they were like, yeah, we don't want anything to do with that console. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm hoping that Nintendo avoids a similar situation with Switch. Yeah. And like you guys, I'm going to I'm gonna call true on this because uh, Laura Kate Dale got this information from both her Nintendo source, who has leaked Switch details on like four different occasions, and an Ubisoft source, who has list details on, uh, leaked details on multiple occasions. And also Game Explain has come forward and said that they have heard the same from some of their sources. So this mm-hmm. seems to be... Uh, it's it's such a bizarre idea, but it seems like it's really happening. Yeah. Get hype, guys. This train never stops. <laughs> Finally, Eurogamer reports that Nintendo Switch is getting a third version of Pokemon Sun and Moon called Pokemon Stars sometime probably after summer in 2017. It features the same game world, albeit built with much higher resolution assets. It includes new features that aren't present in Sun and Moon, and though they can't confirm it, Eurogamer says they've also heard whispers that it will introduce a few new Pokemon. Um, For my part, you know, this lines up with previous claims from both Emily Rogers and MCV about Game Freak bringing Pokemon to Switch. And though I haven't finished Moon yet, I hear its ending leaves a lot of loose ends untied. So yeah, I say it's true. Yeah, definitely no surprises here. Um, we'd already heard those reports, and I think based on even those reports, the easiest conclusion would be that it, it would be a main series game on Switch. And while we've kind of long predicted that the game might be a Gen 1 remake, we've also predicted that it might be an enhanced version of Sun and Noon, so... Eh. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is also good news for me because I was originally going to wait to see whether Sun and Moon addressed my biggest problems with the series before trying it out, but I will definitely be happy to support and play a mainline Pokemon game on a Nintendo home console, even if it's not the Pokemon game of my dreams. (laughs) It's the realistic Pokemon game. And to me, this kind of signals that Nintendo's talk of, oh, we're not not done with 3DS. 3DS is a platform we're going to support for years to come. (laughs) I think that's crap. DS! (laughs) I mean, with with the regular DS, not only did uh, they release Black and White, but they released Black and White 2 on it as well after 3DS was already out. Whereas this, Switch isn't even out yet, and they're they're already working on it game for it a main yeah. series game for it so this yeah this, if they're if they're putting pokemon one of their biggest franchises and they're they're throwing that on switch right away that tells me that they're looking to move away from 3ds and towards switch as both their home console and handheld platform definitely um i actually have a tiny bit of speculation on what might be added and you know you might remember that there are no gyms in sun and moon and mm-hmm. a lot of people are saying oh. that they're thinking of starting a Pokemon League in Sun and Moon, and maybe that'll yeah. happen by Pokemon Stars. Interesting. I know I heard speculation before Sun and Moon came out that uh, the post-game was that now that you're the champion of Alola, you are, uh, you know, they're going to build the gyms, and then you can go and challenge mm-hmm. them. Um so maybe they're onto something, but that's just going to happen in Stars mm-hmm. rather than Sun and Moon. It'd be fun to see the Sun and Moon protagonist be like a gym leader or something, too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, especially if they import your data in some way and give you the, the customization, like yeah. the hair and the glasses and stuff. That'd be fun. All right. Well, that does it for all that stuff. So let's take it to the lightning round. <laughs> And now we've arrived at the beloved lightning round where we bring you little nuggets of information from the past week. If you want to read more about any of these stories or any of the ones we discussed earlier, you can check them out at Gamnesia.com. The latest podcast episode will show up in the scrolling feature bar at the top of the site, and on that page you'll see all these links. Alright, so first up, recent releases and stuff that's now available for you. On Wii U, Darksiders War Mastered Edition is available now. Excite Bike 64 and Zelda Majora's Mask are now available on the Virtual Console in North America, while Wario Land Shake It is now available on the eShop. On Nintendo 3DS, Pokemon Sun and Moon are available now, and they've got largely positive reviews. Dragon Ball Fusions is now available in North America, though its online features won't arrive until next year. Breath of Fire 2 is now available on the new 3DS Virtual Console, and also available is Swap Doodle, a new messenger app for Nintendo 3DS reminiscent of Swap Note. And as for other systems, Ditto is now available in Pokemon Go, as is the game's new tracking feature in most of the US, Canada, and Australia. Then we've got a bunch of upcoming dates to look out for. December 1st, Pokemon players can get Meloetta as a mystery gift via Nintendo Network, and it's also the Game Awards 2016's air date, at which Nintendo is up for several awards. 
December 2nd, Super Mario Maker launches for Nintendo 3DS, and the new line of Zelda Amiibo launches. Uh, December 5th, Pokemon Sun and Moon's Magirna distribution begins. Pokemon the Movie, Volcanion, and the Mechanical Marvel, that's a mouthful, debuts on Disney XD, as does the Pokemon Sun and Moon anime. December 6th, Japan is getting a Pokemon cookbook. December 8th, Japan is getting a special edition Pokemon Sun and Moon 2DS. And Animal Crossing New Leaf Welcome Amiibo launches at retail alongside the new Animal Crossing Amiibo cards on December 8th as well. December 13th, Dragon Ball Fusions launches in Europe. December 15th, Super Mario Run launches on iPhones for $10, and a third version of Yokai Watch 3 launches in Japan. January 31st, Nintendo is creating an official escape room based on The Legend of Zelda. And this is getting really high demand. Uh, tickets in LA were already sold out before I even got a chance to look. Yeah, I know. But apparently, one of my friends put me on the wait list without me telling me, so yay. Nice! <laughs> Congrats! Yeah, I was really yay. disappointed. <laughs> but sweet, you'll have to tell us how it is if you could get in. If I get in, right. Mar- March 30th, Attack on Titan Escape from Certain Death launches on 3DS in Japan. And in the spring, Lego City Undercover is coming to PS4, Xbox One, Nintendo Switch, and Steam. Super underrated game, and I'm really happy that it's going to get to see new life on all these platforms. Partially because it had some kind of forced gimmicky gamepad uh, mechanics, and that's just not going to be a thing anymore on the new version. So I might end up picking it up again. And also partially because Lego GTA is everything you need. Oh my god, it's great. And then finally, a rundown of all the smaller things that happened this past week. Zelda director Eiji Onuma got a Lifetime Achievement Award at this year's Golden Joysticks. NVIDIA's CEO said porting games to Switch will be easy, so fingers crossed there. The Pokemon Company recreated traditional Japanese artworks using Pokemon. Awesome stuff. Niantic said shutting down third-party Pokemon trackers was ultimately the right thing to do. For Niantic. (laughs) And Nintendo issued online bans to 3DS systems with leaked copies of Pokemon Sun and Moon, and Nintendo Germany said those bans are permanent. Super Mario Run's main mode will have just 24 levels. Sakurai officially has a game in the works. Pokemon Go's latest update contains data referencing shiny Pokemon. Nintendo says they'll provide a steady flow of NES Classic Edition stock through the holiday season, but so far it's been so hard to find that even Xbox executives are complaining about the shortages. Uh, They are providing a steady flow, but the steady flow is like one or two systems at a time to most stores, so yay. Good luck. Pokemon Sun and Moon's anime series got its first English trailer, and Capcom released a new trailer for three exclusive Monster Hunter XX. Nintendo's Black Friday eShop deals include discounts on Zelda, Mario, Monster Hunter, and more from now through December 5th. And Sonic's 25th anniversary sale is live now on the 3DS and Wii U eShops. Fans released an impressive short film based on Zelda Majora's Mask, and the second act of Time's End, Majora's Mask Remixed, launched, so we will be using some music from that in our outro this week. Fans modded Rosalina and Luma to look like Lily and Cosmog in Smash Bros. for Wii U. Very cool mod. I love what this community's doing. Get back in the bag, Debbie. Smashified shows us how Undertale's Sans would look as a trophy in Smash Bros. And Team Plasma stars in the 13th and 14th episodes of Pokemon Generations. I have yet to see those, but uh, fingers crossed they're good. Um, Did you guys see them? No. Yeah, I have not. Yeah, like them? Thumbs up, thumbs down? I mean, I haven't been blown away really by most of the episodes, but they're enjoyable enough. Okay. Uh, And did you know gaming explores secrets and censorship in the Pokemon series? Facebook Live now has its own version of Twitch Plays Pokemon. An old blog entry from the Pokemon anime's creator suggests Ash's adventure really was just a dream. It'll Do 2 is a puzzle-filled adventure that Zelda fans will love, so if uh, you guys want to learn more about that, you can check out Ben's awesome review at Gamnesia.com. And we have also got a couple stories on guides for Pokemon X and Y. So, like, every Zygarde cell and core location, every TM, every Pokemon that requires special conditions to evolve. So you can check those out if you are looking for a little guidance. So that's all we got for this week's news, but stay tuned because after the break, we will be right back with a Game Corner segment on our time playing Pokemon Sun and Moon. In the meantime, please enjoy Bulby's excellent 8-bit rendition of the Haoli City theme from those very games. Nintendo Week. I'm your host, Colin McIsaac, still joined by Alex Plant. The critten who hasn't played Sun or Moon. I know. And Ben Lamoureux? Shun the non-believer. 
We don't need to waste any time. Let's head to the game corner. And here we are at the Game Corner, a segment where we shoot the breeze about games that have just come out, or games we've been playing lately, etc. This week is the obvious Pokemon Sun and Moon, the hotly anticipated 7th generation of Pokemon which launched last Friday. It's been a long time coming with lots of strong opinions, but they're finally here. Alex the Heretic is not playing, and I don't know about you, Ben, but I am so happy with these entries. I'm so happy with certain things in these <laughs> entries. Okay, um, sure. That's that's probably a more a more accurate <laughs> statement. I, I have for some me mixed too. feelings on the games, but overall, the the first few hours were kind of rough mm-hmm. to get through, and then since then I've been enjoying it a lot more. Yeah. But I feel like. Like, when the game first starts, it, it comes at you, like, plot-heavy and text-heavy, and I'm like, oh, all right, some world-building, if they actually make an interesting plot, this could be cool. And so much of it is so unnecessary. I don't know how many times I can stand to just press A when all I hear is, It keeps going. Yeah. Every five steps, someone runs up to you and is like, here, I'm gonna say 20 things to you, mash the A button, and then you take five more steps, and someone else runs up to you. Okay, yeah, okay, good. I'm glad that, that we are ranting with the appropriate energy, because this is really infuriating, actually. <laughs> Like, oh man, I wanted to like trade my game in after three it's, hours. Pokemon's been getting bad with the dialogue, but this is unbelievable. And like, stop it, Game Freak! Oh my god! Looks like other Nintendo developers <laughs> like, it, learned that lesson last generation. They learned that lesson in 1992. <laughs> yeah, like, fair. Pokemon was fine with text in like the beginning, and I don't know how they keep growing and growing so much. Like. Oh my god. I'm not four, please. It's getting better now that I'm on the third island now, and I think the second mm-hmm. island was a little more uh, open and less hand-holdy, and the, the third yeah. island has been more so. But the first island, good, good, good. that is not an adventure. That is a guided tour by boring tour guides. Yeah. It was really it was really painful to get through that, honestly. I mean, I, I have been loving Pokemon Sun and Moon. Everything that I needed to be optimistic about in this game has proven right, so, like, I am so happy with the world, like, the selection of Pokemon. The music's great. The, mm-hmm. you know, the scenery's great. It's so colorful and vivid and alive. Like, I love so, so much. The ride Pokemon are amazing. Yes. Oh, thank God yeah. HMs are gone. Because the oh ride my Pokemon God, is a I know. fantastic mechanic. I mean, a lot of these improvements that they've made to modernize the Pokemon series are honestly long overdue. Like, this is what X and Y should have been, honestly. But that's not to diminish the fact that it's good that they've done them now. Um, these mm-hmm. games are much, much better for it. Um, and even though, yes, they should have happened a while ago, like, it's still great that they're here now. So I'm I'm loving a lot of those gameplay advancements, and I'm loving that they're challenging a lot of these tropes that didn't really make sense to be tropes in the Pokemon universe. Like, gyms, you know, mm-hmm. that's that was really a, a piece of a, a bygone era in Pokemon, the gameplay structure that, that didn't really need to be standardized in every single region. Like, these island trials, I think, make so much more sense for Alola and yeah. uh, a lot of other standards, like, yeah, the HMs and Pokemon Centers now have the cafes and the marts inside them, but they also, like, they're not where you go to trade Pokemon anymore. You just tap yeah. the menu and you can get there. That's nice. Pokepelago is amazing, and I never thought that I would be liking these features like Pokepelago and Poke Refresh, but I am also noticing that things like that are actually sort of taught, like the battle system, you'll recognize it'll every now and then be like, oh, Pikachu's thinking about purple Poke Beans. And I don't know if that's affecting their battle performance, but at least gives the Pokemon more character, and it, it really makes them come to life in their personalities in a way that I think uh, I didn't expect Pokemon would embrace, but now that it has, I love it. Yeah, I use Poke Refresh pretty frequently to heal status conditions, but outside of yeah. that, I'm like a terrible trainer. I don't really like groom <laughs> and feed my Pokemon very much. I'm trying to like get through this game so uh, we can do a review, but I yeah. also kind of want to catch like everything I see, so it's taking a it's taking a bit of a while, but uh, yeah, what have you too. felt about like the the new lineup of Alolan Pokemon? Because I'm I'm happier than I thought I would be with most of them. Uh, I mean, I really don't care about them at all. Uh, I mean, I think they range from acceptable to can't have been designed by anyone over the age of eight. <laughs> so, like, There's... especially the Ultra Beasts are disastrously bad looking. Um, yeah, I'm not crazy about the Ultra Beasts but yet, I but... Think... Uh... I'll tell I you think what, I've what's been... nice about Alola versus something like uh, Unova in Black and White 1, um, or even to some extent X and Y, is that they really draw on all seven generations for the Pokemon. Um, and so the bad designs 
don't feel like they are weighing down the overall quality of Pokemon. Like, there are lots of Pokemon that are yeah, fantastic. Yeah, and there's, there's a few bad designs, but as I've been going, I've been trying to slowly turn my team into an all Alolan team. Like, you know, I started with sure. a mix, but now I'm to the point where I only have, uh, let's see, the only person, I'm, or the only Pokemon on my team that's not 7-gen <laughs> exclusive is uh, my Kadabra. Okay. But, like, I love Chargebug. It has, like, a wide really? range of attacks. It has great coverage. Cool. And then, uh, you know, it, it can't evolve till pretty late in the game because it's a route-specific evolution. So mm-hmm. I slapped the... Uh, it's already got great attack and good coverage. And then I slapped the Eviatite or Eviolite or whatever it's called on them that doubles defenses if they're not fully evolved. So now this oh, thing nice. can, like, tank hits and give hits out, and it's got great coverage. Friggin' fantastic. That's and then awesome. I was using a Mankey slash Primate for a while until I caught a Pissimian, and now I've been using that, and that's freaking oh, great, Oh, Pissimian's too. great. Oh, we need to trade. I forgot that you have Sun. Oh, we should get on that. Yeah, we can do some trades. Yeah, let's do it, because I caught an extra Orangaroo, too. Uh, and I'm also really, really digging Mudsdale. I don't know if you've been using one or not, but it's great. Yeah, Mudsdale's pretty cool. He's one of the ones that I think is, um, you know, a good design. No, I've, I've mostly been sort of catching whoever I run into. Um, I have, I've been trying to catch... Lots, but um, I also don't go out of my way to put Pokemon on my team that I don't already like know that I like. So mm-hmm. I mean, like I've I've come to really enjoy Pikapek and uh, some of the new Gen Seven Pokemon. Like yeah, Mudsdale is cool, um, but for the most part, uh, I use Pokemon that I think look really nice. I don't really care so much about the battle strategies because I can always grind because I'm catching Pokemon and battling all the wild Pokemon anyway. Yeah. So. To me, it's a lot more about, like, the relationships sort of that you build with the Pokemon, and in that way, um, you know, I'm a lot more inclined to get things like Pichu and Slowpoke, which are goofy and cute. And, yeah. and uh, I, I try to catch everything that I come across in the wild, but then mm-hmm. when it comes to team building, like like I said earlier yeah. on, uh, I had a Mankey, and, you know, I try to have, like, a diversity, like, I've got a fighting type, a ground type, I try not to have two of any of the same type on my same. team, unless they're you know, dual types, and there's not that much crossover. But yeah. uh, so as I've been going, if I find an Alolan Pokemon that, like you said, looks cool or you know does something interesting in battle, and it's the same type as someone on my team that I'm, you know, it's an old favorite, I try to swap them out. So right. that's that's kind of what I've been doing. Like I said, I had a Mankey and a Primate, and then I came across Pissimian, and I was like, eh, he's a fighting type. He's a monkey. I've got a fighting monkey on my team. Let's let's pull an old Swaparoo and see if I like this this new Alolan Pokemon. And I've absolutely been loving him. So yeah, Pissimian's one of my favorites for sure Mm -hmm. uh that's that's only fighting type right yeah i think so okay yeah because i like the the thing that i find compels me the most to bring new pokemon onto my team is if they're an interesting type combo yeah um like i grew to really love galvantula in gen 5 chandelure is really great even though i don't like the design too much and i find that alolan pokemon for the most part are often like one type or the ones that are interesting type combos are ones that aren't really useful in battle like oracorio is that let's face it, that Pokemon exists for the gimmick of switching the nectars and you know looking mm-hmm. different. Those type combinations aren't really anything meaningful because you're not going to use it in battle. So I find that the ones with interesting type combos are the ones that most often make it to my team. But I just don't see many of those in the new batch of Alolan Pokemon. Yeah. So that's what that's why I mostly stick. Like I've got a Poliwhirl, which I want to make into a Poliwrath for water fighting. I'm going to have Decidueye. I've got Rowlet. I have been waiting to evolve my Pokemon because I like um, getting the moves moves early on. Yeah. Um, But, you know, that's going to be Grass Ghost. So, like, good type combos are are one of the things that I really look for. So So you guys know I always have this question with Pokemon games lately. But how is exploring the world map? Because, you know, like I've said before, I love a lot of things in Gen 1. Like the the Team Rocket bases had a lot of really interesting dungeon design. Um, There's some cool shortcuts. No, the world design is garbage. Uh, Um, Yeah, it's... See, see, here's the thing that... I found I don't mind that the world design is garbage for a couple reasons. For one, it's really pretty. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And once you get ride Pokemon, you can just fly through these l- routes. So, like, it doesn't matter if a route is, you know, super long and has nothing on it because you can be done with it in three seconds. But the the, the other thing that, that helps temper it is that at least for, like, the routes and the towns and stuff, this is not the case in the dungeons, which I am really frustrated by. But at least on the routes and towns, the map is, like, extremely detailed. Mm-hmm. So you look at the bottom screen, and you know exactly where you're going, exactly where you need to go, and how to get there. So the world is designed terribly, but you have a complete layout of everywhere that 
you know, you would want to go and what paths do you want to yeah, take? Yeah, the bottom, the bottom screen map and uh, objective markers have actually been really, really helpful. But totally. if, if you're expecting a lot of open exploration and caves that you can get lost in and things like that, to, you're going to be disappointed. It's it's pretty... Yeah. It, the first island is okay. very linear. After that, you get a little more freedom of exploration, but it's still fairly linear. It's 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 pretty linear, too, though, because you, you... Like, for example, I remember I tried to go through Diglett's Tunnel in yeah. on Akala Island, um, like, basically the first time I arrived there. And you walk down there, and you meet Olivia, the island kahuna, and she's like, oh, yeah, you can't come through here yet. Gah, and then it yeah. fades to black. Oh, by the way, every time that someone says you can't do this, it fades to black and puts you somewhere else. Stop it! What are you doing? Yeah, that's super annoying. Oh my god, annoying. just make an animation! What the hell? In, in general, I thought there's there's way too many, like, cutaways where, like, the screen goes black yeah. for a few seconds and it's like, oh my oh, god, it's, it's, it takes me out of it so much, it's the worst! And I'm so impatient. Well, that's I know, why I'm hoping too. that if the, you know, stars is coming to switch, I'm hoping that with the beefier hardware they can make a, a more seamless overworld where there's less, uh, like, because sometimes you'll be in the middle of a street and just getting from side A of the street to side B of the street takes a transition screen. So I'm hoping that that's sort of oh, some yeah. of the stuff that they're able to screen, do away sure. with the superior hardware. I'm thinking more specifically about, like, uh, I'm sure you noticed this in the demo, Alex, in Haoli City, when you want to go through a gate, yeah. you go to the gate and press A, yeah. and he reaches out to the to gate, but it fades to black, and then you're through the gate. Just animate the gate opening! It shouldn't be that hard! Like It's the same map. Ah, uh, Exactly! It's yeah. not like you need to load anything else, um, so that's yeah. like that's one of the things that really frustrates me. And Ben, I, you you said that you know you're impatient, and so that gets to you. For me, yeah. I mean, I am also impatient, but it's <laughs> not so much a matter of impatience. It's just it breaks the immersion of the world. It's like. Yeah. You don't. You're, yep. If you're just exactly. turning the player around, you're sometimes you're not even moving them. If you're just turning them around, there's no reason to fade to black for that. What the hell is going on? Agreed. Yeah. Yeah, so um, I'm hoping that that's, so that's something really that they change on the Switch version. If, uh, if they sure. can just make yeah. a more seamless overworld is honestly going to be a huge improvement. And yeah. a more visually polished overworld. Especially since we're hearing one of the draws of Switch's sort of computing power is it's good at loading lots of mapping yeah, at for once. Sure. So and definitely take advantage of that And for not Pokemon. just that, but I, I hope that it's... I feel like it's patronizing in the way that it does that too because there are so many of these places mm-hmm. where people say, oh yeah, you just can't come here yet. And it's like... If you can't go there yet, then put, like, a gate up or say, like, the building is closed or, like, or sure. or just even with Diglett's Tunnel, just let people start exploring but make the Pokemon so high-leveled that they know, oh, I'm not supposed to be here yet. This is a bad idea. Sure. Like, I, I feel like this is an overarching theme of Sun and Moon is that it's, it really, it feels like it's a kid's game. And that's so yeah. sad yeah. to see because there's so much that I love going on, but I also feel like it's talking down to me like crazy. It needs an I'm not four years old option at the start. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's right. it's 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 so frustrating because it's not like games need to talk down to children. Um, just be clever with your game design and children and adults alike will be able to enjoy it. Um, but, man, it's right. like they've forgotten all of the things that made... You know the earlier generation games work so great for for all ages. Um, and while there are so many of these things that I've been talking about that I love in this game, that is that is my most enormous frustration is that I'm not four anymore. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Um, so maybe on a brighter note, uh, I remember we noted when we played the demo that the just what's going on in that uh, that immigration office. There's a lot of like cool details yeah. for like adults yeah. to spot like the people working behind the counter like does that sort of detail persist through all the sort of inhabited areas yes there's like a mega mart where they've got like snorlax advertisements it's, it's definitely a more fleshed out and lived in world than any previous definitely. one very great yep Perfect. yeah no Perfect. i've been loving that that's what i mean when um, it's like it's rich it's beautiful it's so detailed everyone's houses look like actual yeah. houses that people could yeah live in. it's, cool. it's really, I, a okay. while ago we had this conversation about like X and Y were kind of a boring 3D world, whereas Yokai Watch has a lot of visual detail and it looks like it's really alive. Um, and we were mm-hmm. mentioning, you know, I hope for the next Pokemon games they they learn from the sort of the the visual style that Yokai Watch has been uh, embracing, and they have. So very good. Cool. They are learning the right lessons from what Yokai Watch does right. 
Uh, and ultimately, I don't really like Yokai Watch very much, but I do acknowledge that it is enormous in Japan, and there are some good reasons for that. And Pokemon is is uh, yeah cl- taking claim back on those reasons. Cool. And I guess we we just complained about the world design a lot. But one thing that can mitigate that a little is if the battles are sufficiently challenging and paced. Is is that mm, the I case would say they're the about normal to, to other Pokemon. Yeah, okay. games. yeah, I mean, there's it's scalable. You can turn the EXP share off. I find that they are balanced yeah. towards using the EXP share. So there's that, which means you know if you have the EXP share on, it will be like a normal difficulty, and then you can turn it off and it will be a little more challenging. Hard mode. Um, so that's good. Okay. But I find that sometimes they're challenging in ways that are just really just frustrating. Like Pokemon can call for help and uh, another Pokemon will yeah, come in and assist them. Yeah. And first of all, you can't catch any Pokemon when there are two there. And that's... That is so that's frustrating. BS. Yeah. I, like, I wouldn't yeah. mind it so much if you could just the, catch the one of them anyway. In y, so. um, but it's it's really yeah. tough because like if you're trying to train up a weak Pokemon that you caught and you want it to uh, do better, then uh, if you get you know a wild Pokemon down to one HP, you should be able to take them out with just one attack and survive. But then they'll call for help and you'll get yeah. a full HP Pokemon that now you also have double battle against with this weak Pokemon that you're just trying to level up. Come on. And the really frustrating thing is I'd be okay with the call for help mechanic if it uh if it took a turn, if that was the Pokemon's yeah, turn. Yo, yeah, yeah, that's help, the huge not. problem. They can they can attack and then yep. call for help, and sometimes they will do it literally every turn the entire yeah. battle. Yeah. Ah. Yeah. So that's that's awful. Um I feel like this has turned into another one of those times where we're complaining about all our complaints without giving our praises, but although I do think I feel like I've, I've voiced a lot of my praises, it's given me hope. Yeah, I, I think there's been a nice balance. Yeah, they balanced the difficulty really well. Uh, they balanced the Pokemon really well. Nice. The world feels alive in a way that I have not felt has been true uh, for a long time. Um, mm-hmm. Like this, this is the first Pokemon game since Heart Gold and Soul Silver that I think works at its core. There are a lot of these frustrations, but. And I, I don't mean, like, it's functional and it works. I mean, like, this feels like Pokemon to me again. This world feels alive and, and vibrant, and I am really, really loving these games. So Cool. I, I really like when it uh, starts changing from night to day, and then because of the sunset, all the water in the game turns orange. It's yeah, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. I, I guess sort of ultimate thoughts is that this it's finally a Pokemon game again that isn't, to me, defined by the accumulation of all its mistakes leading up to a bad experience for me. Um, but they've smoothed over so many of these gameplay details that, um, you know, the, the complaints I have are complaints and gripes. They're not the experience as a whole. Well, it's easy to focus on the negatives when you're enjoying exactly, everything else. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's And that's a lot of the problem I have giving criticism fairly to, like, Black and White and X and Y is that there's just so much that it does wrong. Like, where the hell do I start? Yeah. But here, you know, I've I've yeah. listed basically everything I don't like about Sun and Moon already. So, you know, everything else is just fantastic. Yep. Really fun games. They definitely tried some new interesting things that work really well, like Pokey Ride. Oh, my God, yes. I cannot give that enough praise. So good. It's just hard to get through the first, like, four hours or so of the game. Like, really hard yeah. to get through the first four hours. Yeah. And then after that, it, it gets Really the better. first, like, island and a half, let's say. Because people could spend different amounts yeah. of time, you know, trying to catch and train... They're Pokemon on the right, first island, fair. so don't don't think of it as as ours, listeners. Think of it as you get through the first island and the first couple towns in the second island, and that's when it sort of opens up. Music's good, yes? Music's very good. Uh, I, the normal trainer and wild Pokemon battle themes feel super generic. Like, the chord structure was ripped straight from Hoenn, basically. Um, so mm-hmm. that's a little disappointing, but otherwise, yeah, town music is great. The island challenge music is amazing. Uh, the Kahuna battles and the battles with how those all have great music. Love it. And there's different daytime and nighttime music for most locations too, right? I don't think so. Oh, I but thought I'd heard I, that somewhere. yeah, it's, it's, po- it's, pro- they're probably a little bit different in the way that like black and white okay. had slightly different themes for the winter and spring and summer and fall versions, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But I ha- I haven't noticed it, at least. Oh, okay. Any final thoughts, or shall we... 
So I guess the the question is, do I wait for the Switch version or do I get it on 3DS? Uh, I mean, that's up to you. I would probably wait, though. I mean, it's... Okay. It will probably be another year. I'm fine with that. If you can (laughs) wait that long to play Sun and Moon, but... um, Totally, totally fine with that. I think the Switch version is probably going to be better for just purely objective reasons. Cool. Reasons. Sure. Okay. Uh My opinion is vindicated. All right. Well, everybody, thank you all so much for listening. This is the Endo Nintendo Week for today. If you like this podcast, you can subscribe to us on iTunes or subscribe to us on YouTube at Gamnesia TV for bite-sized discussions from the show. And please head to iTunes to leave us a review. We're really working hard to make the show great for you guys, so those iTunes reviews really mean a lot, and they also help a lot of listeners discover the show. So if you haven't done that, please do. It's greatly appreciated. If you have feedback for Nintendo Week, please send it to Colin at Gamnesia.com, or you can find me on Twitter at Colin McIsaac. And remember to send in your questions about Nintendo, about our show. We love engaging with you guys, and we read them and talk about them here on the show, so it's a great way to get involved. We are going to take your questions, finally, next week. Uh, so that mystery house is is coming. Uh, we were going to do it last week, but then I had to move again. Um, so, uh, And then now is the time for Sun and Moon. But it's finally happening. We're taking your questions, so be sure to get them in. Again, that's Colin at Gamnesia.com, C-O-L-I-N at G-A-M-N-E-S-I-A, and at Colin McIsaac, C-O-L-I-N-M-C-I-S-A-A-C. Alex, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter at Legend of Lex. And Ben, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter at Aramgard. That's E-R-I-M-G-A-R-D. All right. If you guys can't wait till next week for more of our stuff, you can head to Gamnesia.com to see more gaming news as it happens. We got Sony, Microsoft Indie, you name it, and Nintendo news that we didn't have the time to discuss on this week's show. And you can join the Facebook group Nintendo Week Fun Club to chat with us and other listeners about all things Nintendo. On our way out, please enjoy Theophany's gorgeous rendition of the Deku Palace theme from Zelda Majora's Mask, which you can find in full on his incredible remix album, Time's End, Part 2. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you have another great week.